Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. Did you hear, John, about the poor schmuck who bet $25,000 on Roger Federer to beat John Millman in the fourth round of the U.S. Open in an attempt to win $500? Yeesh, I wouldn't even let that guy touch our fictional bankroll. That is funny. Uh, Millman is from the land down under, and I think I'd say the better had his head uh, down under. (laughs) Uh, It seemed like a good rule of thumb to never bet on a heavy favorite. Is that right? At least when they're that heavy. When you have to lay $25,000 to win $500, you, you, you better know that like John Millman's missing a leg or something, I think. (laughs) Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you to uh, all of you for joining us for episode number five. If you missed any of our previous podcasts, they're available at soundcloud.com slash gamble on podcast. You can also find us on iTunes or the Apple podcast app where you can subscribe so you never miss a single episode. Yeah, and Eric, uh, later in the show, we'll be joined by Hollywood Casino Racing Operations Vice President Eric Zimney to talk about the first week of legal sports betting in West Virginia. Uh, But we have a couple other segments to get through first, so let's start the show. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We have three news stories to cover this week. Uh, First up. On the eve of the start of the NFL regular season, uh, kickoff is tonight, the Atlanta Falcons visiting the defending Super Bowl champion Eagles in Philadelphia. So right as the season is about to begin, we have a new report by Nielsen commissioned by the American Gaming Association projecting that a fully regulated, mature American gambling business would be worth $2.3 billion to the NFL annually. That breaks down into about $1.8 billion in revenue from increased fan engagement, meaning media rights, sponsorship, merchandise, ticket sales, etc., and a little over $500 million from direct money, such as betting operators spending money on advertising and the NFL getting rights fees associated with those ads. Uh, two questions for you, John. Do these numbers ring potentially accurate to you? And will projections like these convince these leagues to stop hunting for so-called integrity fees? Uh, well, I looked it over and I, I noticed, uh, Nielsen, this is the best case scenario. So this right. is the high end. Uh, I really don't envy anyone trying to make these sort of estimates because of the great unknown. Obviously, we have millions of casual and and more than casual NFL fans. We already risk money in season long or daily fantasy sports. Uh, but these people are leery of going to a bookie or they don't know how to find one. Although there's plenty of people who do, uh, you know, now the option is there for mm-hmm. sports betting in a handful of states with with more to come. You know, will they open their pocketbooks and wallets for sports betting uh, as well? 
It's hard to say. Uh, the media rights increase is the largest figure there, and I buy that. Your team is down 35 nothing, but now you watch the fourth quarter because you bet that your team will score in that quarter, right? Right. And, and therefore, you're going to see those commercials that, that are on in the fourth quarter. Um, but ticket sales up 6.5% from this. Um, casinos and racetracks see people not spend uh, money on even coffee just because that's one fewer bet. And so some people get really into these bets. I don't know if they're going to think, well, now I want to spend you know, 85, 125, whatever dollars to, to go to the game. And I'm, I'm into betting now because now I can't, I can't make those bets. Uh, as far as integrity fees, my stance has been the same for a while. I think if lobbyists can get New York state next spring to include them, and it's possible uh, for various reasons, uh, then other states that haven't really been paying attention might follow suit. But if not, integrity fees are dead. Uh, the leagues are going to make plenty of money from companies associated with gambling anyway. I, I don't, I don't see, real, see the real need for it, and I don't really see the sense of it. Yeah, that, that's the key, and that's a big part of what this study is saying, that the, these leagues are, are going to get rich, uh, as in billions of dollars a, a year rich in the case of the NFL. So to, to be so focused on integrity fees, you know, there, there was a really great quote from the AGA's Sarah Slane on Tuesday's media conference call about the report. She said, when leagues are pushing for integrity fees for purchasing data, they are really tripping over dollars to pick up pennies. Uh, that was what she says. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, unless the leagues don't believe the report, unless they think the numbers are way off, I feel like they'd be fools to keep pushing for integrity fees. You're, you're getting $2.3 billion more each year thanks to sports betting. Uh, OK, let's say that's an overestimate, as you said, best case scenario. Maybe maybe it's just one and a half billion dollars a year. Say thank you and move on, I would think. Yeah, they're going to come out ahead. There's no no question about that. Yeah, and, and by the way, Sarah Slane made another great point, uh, and this goes in line with something you were saying. Uh, she said once in-game betting really takes hold, that will completely reshape fan engagement. You know, even more than fantasy sports, in-game betting will keep people watching throughout the game, no matter how big a blowout it is. And that was something you touched on. Agreed. All right, uh, story number two here. Uh, Seems like pretty much every week we're reporting on something having to do with mobile sportsbooks in New Jersey. And since last week's podcast, FanDuel and William Hill became the fourth and fifth mobile sportsbooks to launch in the state, joining DraftKings, PlayMGM, and PlaySugarHouse. With each new sportsbook, it seems there's a little less fanfare and excitement, but FanDuel in particular is getting rave reviews for its lines and its functionality. Will the fact that rival DraftKings beat them to market by a month end up mattering at all in the end? Well, I'm a sample size of one, but uh, I'm a casual better. I'm a casual better who signed up for DraftKings account last month when it when it first came out. Mm -hmm. uh, I've tried the PGA Tour golf picks for four weeks, both pre-event and in play. I like it. Uh, I went to the FanDuel office last week to see a demo of their online product, and it looked fine. It looked good. Uh, but I'm I haven't leaped to sign up yet. That's just a fact. You know, if, if I heard there was something amazing there or getting paid was much easier, you know, I've won everywhere from 11 cents to 30 dollars in each week, but I've yet to cash it out, then maybe I consider it. But I think first to market is a real phenomenon in, in all businesses. And uh, that said, FanDuel DFS players, no doubt, will sign up with them. And that's a nice market share for them. Yeah. And I think you're right to point out that you as a, as a casual better are, are one thing. Um, and I think a lot of casual betters will be much like you. They'll sign up at one place, maybe two places, um, but they're not going to go super hardcore line shopping at, at at you know eight different sites uh, once there are that many up and running um whereas someone who takes it more seriously who's less casual maybe trying to to grind out something resembling uh, a living uh betting on sports um 
you know, they're they're going to play a bunch of different sites and it's not going to end up mattering to them who was the first to launch. Um, what we know so far is certainly that DraftKings is going to win August 2018 by a mile uh, and, and is, is going to win this the race to a million bets, uh, which they're almost at right now. They have a special promotion centered around hitting that number. Um, but I kind of think in the end, functionality and lines will matter more than where people opened their first account. Um, but again, I, there may be a divide there between the more casual betters and the more serious betters. Uh, here's something interesting connected to, to all of this. You know, I, I live outside New Jersey. It takes me about 20 minutes to get there from my home in Pennsylvania. And it's convenient for me to be able to check the lines from out of state. With DraftKings, I can't. Uh, the geolocator blocks me from even glancing at their lines. With Sugar House, FanDuel, etc., I can. Uh, now, I'm in a unique boat of you know, that being helpful to me as a journalist, uh, that those are the lines I'm going to be quoting more if I can look them up. Um, but I do think uh, DraftKings needs to adjust its approach on that one. Potential customers outside the state will be more likely to drive in and place a bet if they can see a line that they like. Well, particularly, you keep in mind, I mean, there's just a couple million people in Manhattan and the, <laughs> right. and the other boroughs as well. So it's not just a small number. Just the Philadelphia area alone is, is a large number mm. uh, relative to the rest of the country. And you, you combine it with New York City. And yeah, I definitely see your point. Yeah. All right. And moving on to our third and final story of the week. Fox Sports's daily gambling show, Lock It In, debuts this coming Monday, September 10th from 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This has been rumored for several weeks that Fox Sports had something like this in the works, but now it's here, and we know the on-air team. It's hosted by Rachel Benetta, and she'll be joined by Clay Travis, Cousin Sal Iacano, and Todd Furman. Uh, John, uh, once again, I'm firing two questions at you. Will you be watching, and will other cable sports networks be replicating this soon? Uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, that seems like a weird time. Uh, I know Sunday mornings are swamped and you, you get lost in the in the noise. But Friday afternoon would seem better, even Thursday afternoon. But um, well, it'll it'll be it'll be uh, Monday through Friday afternoons. Uh, so it's it's, okay. a, it's a daily weekday show. Uh, but you're right that they're missing that first Sunday of, of football. Right. And it's also that's a that's a challenge in and of itself. Then you're going to have five days of programming. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is something people need to watch every day. The temptation, I would think, would be somebody's, you know, I'll catch up on Friday. I, you know, the, presumably the, the everything's sort of summarized on Friday. And uh, so be interesting. I'd love to see a breakdown of those ratings day by day. But uh, uh, and but the question, again, is what's going to be unique about the show? That's always the challenge. Um, uh, I do expect other networks to dip their toe into these waters. But if not this year, then definitely in 2019. I, I think some of the major sort of uh, see how this shakes out, see how many states get it too, which is a factor. Right. Uh, see how many states have it by next, you know, if by next summer, 10 other states have it, and, and particularly some large ones, right. then uh, it's it's much more tempting. So right now, it might be a little early for some of them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, a lot of the other networks are probably going to look at Fox Sports and see what kind of ratings, what kind of conversation this generates, uh, and maybe take their time dipping their toe in. I'd be surprised if a year from now, ESPN doesn't have some kind of gambling-focused show in their daily talking head rotation. Uh, they have a whole bunch of those kind of shows out there. Uh, you would think they, they could make room for a gambling one, um, or, or at least, if not a daily one, at least a weekly one focused on football betting during the season. I would certainly expect ESPN to have something like that by next year. But as for this particular show, um, I have kind of mixed feelings, and obviously I haven't seen it yet because it hasn't aired, but just based on the talent lineup, I love Cousin Sal. I think he's the ultimate sports betting everyman, and he has a great personality. Um, I've also had a, a few personal interactions with him, and he just seems like a really good guy. 
But I feel the opposite way about Clay Travis. Um, let's just say he's very Fox and leave it at that. Um, so I'll check out the show for sure, in part because it connects directly to my job. Um, but it remains to be seen if Cousin Sal and, and the other stuff I like outweighs Clay Travis and uh, stuff like that that might remind me of, of Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith and other things that make me want to change the channel ASAP. Yeah, I was just thinking of how convenient this is. You know, it's probably been talked for years about, gee, we know how much money is being bet illegally in the United States. And you know, if we had a, a show touting some picks and such, uh, we'd probably get a decent audience. But, you know, we're going to get criticized for it, uh, maybe pretty severely. So they hold off. And then now just five or six states getting it is enough to sort of say, oh, no, no, we're just uh, we're just doing this for the legal story. We don't <laughs> want anybody watching from the rest of the country, of course. <laughs> right, right. And I, and I wonder how this makes uh, the folks in Nevada feel that they they've had the legal game. Gambling for sports betting for for a very long time now, and uh, and nobody was uh, was was launching a show. Uh, now that a few other states have joined in, uh, suddenly Fox Sports thinks thinks that's enough. But yeah, it's it's an interesting test case uh, to see how this does and and whether there's a chain reaction after this show goes live. But think of how well this worked out for Las Vegas. You know, in the last 25 years, obviously, the big change there has been the percentage of revenue going from non-gaming and gaming, you know, has, has flipped from like uh, one-third uh, non-gaming to two-thirds non-gaming. So already we know the sports betting is not by by any means the biggest uh, revenue number there. It's not even close, but it's gotten even it's gotten smaller and smaller. So two-thirds of what goes on in Las Vegas at this point is, it doesn't even have to do with gambling necessarily. So uh, there's plenty of revenue there, and they'll still make money in all the other games. So I think the PASPA, the 25-year the uh, federal ban, uh, really bought them all the time they needed to be ready for this. Yeah. Ready to prove how smart you are and win some prizes? It's time for the Gamble On Trivia Question of the Week. Every week on the podcast, we ask a sports or gambling-related trivia question, and at the end of every month, we award a $25 Amazon gift card to one listener who has submitted a correct answer. All you have to do is tweet the correct answer to at US underscore bets, and make sure to include the hashtag GambleOn, and you'll be entered into a prize drawing. Last week, we asked, what former NBA player won big by placing a $550,000 bet in Las Vegas in 2002 on the two-touchdown underdog Patriots to beat the Rams in the Super Bowl? The answer, as you might have been able to guess, even if you didn't know for sure, was Charles Barkley, uh, now, of course, best known to the world as a DraftKings sportsbook pitchman. Uh, so congrats to everyone who got that one right, and congrats to our August contest winner, at TanV54. Uh, we will be contacting you to send you your $25 Amazon gift card. Uh, what's this week's trivia question, John? Uh, Eric, you know, we've done some sports betting trivia, some horse racing trivia, some movie blackjack trivia, uh, but we haven't had a poker trivia question yet. So here goes uh, with a poker question. In 1991, Brad Doherty became the first player to win a World Series of Poker main event first prize payout of $1 million. Who was the first WSOP winner to receive a $2 million prize? Now, I know you're not as deep into poker as I am, John. Uh, so in case you're confused, uh, Brad Darty is not the Brad Darty from the <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers in, in the 80s. Uh, you're not that John Brennan, and uh, and this isn't that Brad Darty. Well, it's funny because I covered the NBA in the 1990s, so I covered that Brad Darty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and where, were you wondering to yourself, gee, I didn't know he had a sideline as a, a million-dollar poker player. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
Legal sports betting officially came to West Virginia one week ago today when Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races took the first bet. We are excited to be joined now by the Racing Operations Vice President at Hollywood Casino, Eric Zimney. Eric, congratulations on being the first in the state to launch sports betting, and thanks for joining us on Gamble On to talk about the early action at your sports book. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's certainly been an exciting couple of weeks and an exciting last weekend when we, uh, like you said, got to launch the first sports book in West Virginia. Yeah, and, and I read that uh, you did about $640,000 in handle in your first four days. How did that number compare to your expectations? And all in all, how smoothly did the opening weekend go? Well, I'll be honest, expectation-wise, it's so hard to have any reasonable expectation at this point. I mean, we're talking about an industry that was centralized in Nevada and a little bit in Delaware, but primarily almost 100% Nevada for the last however many years. And so now you're you know, spidering it out throughout the country and then dropping it in new jurisdictions, and it's almost impossible to, to get a good handle on exactly how much you're going to do uh, in volume. But that being said, the the operations on, on uh, Saturday, Sunday of last weekend especially went very smoothly. Uh, we had very good crowds, but our staff, uh, we were very comfortable with going in, and they were they were very well trained, and they were able to handle the customers that were in front of them. And at point we had at points we had lines, you know, ninety, a hundred people deep uh, waiting mm. for the first games to kick off on Saturday. So uh, all all together, um, you know, we really couldn't have been more pleased with the way things opened operationally. And and it seems you took a, a fair number of futures bets, not just game bets. Is that right? I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. You know, we took a lot of action on the college football games on Saturdays. You can imagine Mm -hmm. Uh, West Virginia was a very popular game, of course, against Tennessee. You know, you had a couple of really key national games with Michigan and Notre Dame, especially, Um, you know, the Washington Auburn game, certainly a big game earlier in the year that uh, there was enough, uh, you know, meat on the plate as far as current day games that we took some solid, solid wagering volume on those games. But of course, uh, you know, your NFL season futures as far as over under win totals, Super Bowl bets and that sort of thing. They were popular, too. Right. Yeah. Eric, you may know that here in New Jersey, gamblers can't wager on games involving New Jersey colleges and universities. And also, let's say Notre Dame and Penn State were to play a football game in the Meadowlands, which they've done before. Uh, New Jersey gamblers wouldn't be able to bet on that game either. Uh, was that concept ever discussed in West Virginia? And, and how badly would that impact your bottom line if it, if it had happened? Bottom line, I mean, I, I, I don't have an answer for that, of course. Um, you know, we found on the West Virginia game, it was more, um, you know, more wagers in terms of the number of bets placed. But as far as wagering volume, you know, average dollars per wager, it wasn't the same as some of the other games. We're actually, ironically, going to feel that a little bit this weekend with the rule in New Jersey because the servers at William Hill, who is, of course, our third-party vendor, they're tied into the servers in New Jersey. So uh, we're not going to be able to offer a wagering on the Ohio State Rutgers game in West Virginia this weekend because hmm. of that, that technical limitation. So, um, you know, it, would it impact us? Maybe a little bit, but I don't think dramatically. Interesting. So there are five casinos in West Virginia. Um, some of the others are close to opening their sports books, but none have yet. Uh, are you surprised that, that none of your competitors were up and running in time for NFL season? And how big an advantage do you think it gives you in the big picture to have a, a couple of weeks head start on them? I, you know, I, I really do. I get that question a fair amount. I, I don't know the infrastructures at the other casinos very well at all. So I can't speak with, you know, speak intelligently to them. I can tell you that 
from our perspective, it was important for us to, to get open in time for the start of college football, which is going to be September 1 as far as the first slate of games goes. So we put a lot of resources towards that happening. And luckily, uh, we, were, we were able to, to bring it to fruition uh, in terms of competition amongst the other casinos in the state. We're not really in that close of proximity to, to any of the other casinos. That, that's not really where we're going to draw the folks from. So, um, you know, we're going to draw from probably within an hour or two of the immediate area. So uh, them not being open, helping or hurting, probably, you know, it's probably a wash, probably not, not really a factor. Okay, so you were mostly just focused on yourself and and getting your casino up and running, and that 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 September first uh, deadline was was what you were working toward all along. Yeah, one hundred percent. The the deadline to beat was the September one, not other casinos. I mean, I tell people this too. Uh, the reality is, this is something that our customers and customers in a lot of places have been looking forward to for a while. Um, and we, you know, we're just looking forward to offering it to them as soon as we can. Um, and, uh, September 1st seemed like a natural deadline to shoot for. We had to pull it together pretty quickly, but, uh, we're able to do it. Like I said. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, Eric, uh, West Virginia is a little bit of an unusual state in that it has a college football team that in its best years is, you know, dreaming of a shot at the national title. Um, but it has no NFL team as opposed to some heavily populated states that have both. And of course, a lot of uh, Western states have neither. So uh, I want to get an idea first on what NFL teams have the largest fan base in the state or maybe in your marketplace, which is more relevant to you. And then do you have a feel yet for whether college or pros are going to win out in terms of the betting volume over the course of the season? Well, I think pros are probably going to win out in terms of betting volume over the course of the season. But as far as the the division of of pro teams, I I can't say it's a third, a third, a third. But we have a a pretty high volume of Ravens, Redskins, and Steelers in the area, probably more heavy towards the Redskins uh, than the Steelers and Ravens. They might be a little bit more split, but those are primarily the the three teams. And is uh, that that Steelers uh, line for this week uh, potentially going to have some some last minute changes depending on uh, what happens with Le'Veon Bell? I, I can tell you, it's had some first minute changes. It, <laughs> it's gone down over the last several days, um, even before Le'Veon Bell. I want to say it started at six. It's already down to four at our place. Um, and yeah, I'd imagine the Le'Veon Bell thing. Uh, the people who are betting it down to four certainly aren't displeased with the fact that he's almost definitely not going to see any action. Um, as a Steelers fan, I hope he sees action, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen at this point. So, uh, you know, maybe it will go down further. It's hard to hard to imagine that it would, though. Right. All right. Well, well, great stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us, Eric. Uh, congrats again on getting sports betting off the ground in West Virginia. Uh, and best of luck going forward, especially with what figures to be an extremely busy Saturday and Sunday ahead of you this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me, guys. Right. Thanks, Eric. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We have a new twist to the bankroll segment starting this week. Uh, in addition to the bets being made with our $10,000 bankroll, John and I will be running our own two-man version of the NFL Super Contest all season. Uh, We'll each pick five games to bet against the spread, and we'll see how we do against each other, and also how we would have done if we were entered in the big Super Contest in Las Vegas. Now, the name Super Contest is taken, and it might be a reach to declare what we're doing super anyway. Uh, So (laughs) what should we call it? The the so-so contest? The stupor contest? Just the contest? What, What do you think, John? Oh, uh, I think there was a Seinfeld episode called The Contest, and if, uh, <laughs> we might be getting the wrong, wrong audience. If we, You're uh, right. Uh, You're right. Good point. Go there. So I think pick, pick five has already been taken by the lotteries, I'm pretty sure. Um, 
I don't know, Eric versus John Steel Cage match. Uh, you betcha. Uh, you're the, you're the uh, podcast whisperer. Maybe, maybe <laughs> this is on you. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll try and come up with something uh, between now and, and next week. But uh, if, well, at least I'll I'll stand by your uh, recommendation that we not call it the contest. We don't we don't need you uh, two weeks into the season slamming your money down on the table yelling, "I'm out." Oh, no, 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 we don't. <laughs> All right. Um, so we'll get uh, to our picks in that new contest at the end. Uh, but first, a roundup of our results from last week with our shared bankroll. And only one result is in. John put $200 on Brooks Kepka to win 280 if he finished in the top 10 in Boston. And wouldn't you know, he finished tied for 12th, one stroke out of the top 10. Actually, two, two inches out of the top 10. He had, a, <laughs> uh, he had a mid-range eagle putt in the last hole, and it just curled away. That was that close. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So very close, but uh, no cigar. Uh, so we are down $710 from our starting 10000 plus we have 1660 on hold on futures bets, meaning our bankroll stands at 7630 as we enter NFL season. And for my first bet, uh, going with the NFL, I'm doubling down on a bet I made last week. I put $100 on last week's podcast on the Houston Texans to upset the Patriots at plus 240 in week one. And now I'm going to put another $100 on a parlay uh, at DraftKings Sportsbook if I take the Texans to, to win outright and the Cincinnati Bengals to win outright as a small road underdog against the Colts, a game in which I personally favor the Bengals. It pays a whopping plus 743, so I'm betting an additional $100 on that parlay, and I'll turn it into $843 if both road underdogs win. Uh, that's just a, a great return right there, in my opinion, on a bet that I consider only a mild long shot. Actually, it's worth a, about 100 bucks more in terms of payout uh, at Dra- DraftKings than it is at the other books I checked. And, uh, and come on, who, who doesn't want extra reasons to root against the Patriots? It, uh, it does pay to shop around, too. Uh, yeah. Since there's only two only two playoff weeks left in the golf, I'll try another PGA Tour play. Uh, on DraftKings, I can get – this is an interesting uh, new new bet I've seen. Um, I can get 100 to win 400 on, say, Tony Finau to finish in the top four among the dozens of American players in the 70-player BMW field uh, in the championship being held near Philadelphia. Uh, Finau was good to me last week, so I'm going to give him another chance. So that's 100 to win 400. Finau, top four among the American players players in the BMW championship. <laughs> wow. That is a very specific prop that they're offering there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you can do Swedes and, uh, you know, Spain, all kinds of countries, actually. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, all right. Well, my next bet here will be uh, my first player prop. Uh, the FanDuel app uh, has an extreme long shot that I can put just a tiny bet on and win big. Uh, so I'm going to place our smallest bet yet, a mere $20, on Denver Broncos rookie running back Royce Freeman to win the rushing title at 80 to 1. So I can turn our $20 into $1,600 by season's end. I was tempted to go with Saquon Barkley at 16 to 1, um, but I like the much longer odds here. And in college, Freeman wasn't a guy who caught the ball out of the backfield a lot. His yards are almost entirely rushing yards, whereas a lot of the other best running backs who you'll you'll take at the top of a fantasy draft, for example, like uh, David Johnson, Barkley, Todd Gurley, they give you all-purpose yards. Uh, Freeman is the number one running back in Denver as a rookie. I think he has a shot here. I think it's worth it. 20 bucks at 80 to 1. You know, it's funny. I talked before about, well, FanDuel would have to have something very unusual to tempt me to join them as well. And then you tell me about that, and I didn't see that on DraftKings. <laughs> so 
<laughs> maybe uh, maybe they've got this figured out. Uh, but on DraftKings, I'll settle for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars minus two point five points at the Giants, uh, parlayed with another with an under of forty three point five points. That would be a hundred to win two ninety. Uh, interesting, maybe a little uh, provincialism here that uh, I can actually get the Jaguars only giving two and a half uh, in New Jersey. Okay. All right. So we have uh, we have a couple of parlays going. We have a, a couple of bets on on individuals. You on a golfer, me on a running back. Some interesting stuff uh, here on uh, our fifth. Uh, episode of the podcast uh, with our fictional bankroll. Uh, and uh, now we'll wrap things up with our respective uh, not-so-super contest picks, uh, or whatever we're going to end up calling it. Uh, we're using the same Westgate Las Vegas spreads uh, that super contest participants are using. Uh, and I'll go first this week with my five games that I'm picking. Two of them you can probably see coming based on my parlay bet. Uh, I like the Bengals plus three against the Colts and the Texans plus six and a half against the Patriots. Uh, my third one here, I'm going with the Ravens uh, at home uh, as a seven and a half point favorite against the Bills uh, to cover that that wide line. You know, the Bills have a chance to be truly awful th- this season, uh, although I'm a little hesitant to take the Ravens giving more than the touchdown. I wish it was like six and a half instead of seven and a half, but I'll do it because of just how little I believe in the Bills. Um, I've also got the Panthers at minus three against the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys always seem to get a point or two more than they warrant because they're a public team, so I like the, the Panthers to cover there. And lastly, I'm taking the Rams uh, at minus four visiting the Raiders. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, an elite team against a subpar team that just traded away its best player. Uh, and, and I think this line is going to keep moving. Uh, it's actually, since they posted it at four, it's already gone to four and a half. I think it gets up to five by game time. Uh, so again, my five teams I'm taking are the Bengals, the Texans, the Ravens, the Panthers, and the Rams. What are your five picks, John? Uh, well, uh, in this uh, uh, mode of operation here, the Jaguars are minus three over the Giants, but uh, I love two and a half, but I like three. I'm all in on that. Uh, Giants have not had a great preseason. Um, I don't buy their offensive line. Um, we haven't seen too much from uh, Odell Beckham. Um, I, I just I don't know if they're ready uh, like mm-hmm. the Jaguars are. So uh, I'm comfortable with that. Um, Redskins plus one over the Cardinals. Uh, note that overtime as of last year uh, – was dropped to t- only 10 minutes, which was kind of strange. But um, so plus one is a little better than it was five years ago uh, in terms of the possibility of ties. I thought there would be more ties last year, but it didn't really happen. But hmm. it could. You know, a lot of these offenses now are so conservative. They're going, say, seven minutes in a drive and they don't even score um, or they score. But then like, a field goal and the game continues. And then right. the other team tries a last minute field goal. So I, uh, that's going to be something to watch this year. I don't know why it didn't uh, play last year. But that's part of it. But mainly this is uh, tight end Jordan Reed being healthy for once and uh, Adrian Peterson getting a dead cat bounce, as they call it on Wall Street, uh, <laughs> as, as a starting running back. I wouldn't count on either one of them to keep it up till midseason, but I think they can do it for one week. And then uh, the Falcons I have even over your Eagles in the league opener uh, on Thursday. Uh, Eagles have never been in a position of defending a Super Bowl before, obviously. Right. And you know, in the second half of last season, they had that tremendous win over the Vikings to reach the Super Bowl. But that's the only double digit win they had in the last eight weeks. And obviously, there's um, some quarterback questions, at least to start. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the Falcons are a good team and they're ready and they're overlooked and uh, they, they like their chance here. Um, Vikings minus six and a half over the 49ers. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was tremendous late last season, no question. But uh, now you got six or eight months of prep by a strong defense. Uh, there has to be a hole in his game somewhere this early in his career. And uh, 
they, they'll have plenty of time to have found it with all the tape they have. Uh, and then finally, the Chargers minus three and a half over the Chiefs. Um, I again get the experienced quarterback, and the Chargers had a sneaky good second half last year. Uh, people didn't notice that they started 0-4 with a couple of losses thanks to a rookie kicker blowing some uh, key key tries and then finished 9-3 and after that. Uh, it's a good team that's underrated, and uh, I'm comfortable with that. So once again, that's Jaguars, Redskins, Falcons, Vikings, and Chargers. Wow, pretty fascinating that uh, we don't have any overlapping picks, and we, in fact, didn't even pick any of the same games. It's not like we had the opposite teams in any game. We managed to hit 10 different games with our five picks apiece. So uh, interesting. We'll see how that goes. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Gamble On. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Check out usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. John, uh, please do the honors and take us out. Uh, Thanks so much, Eric. Remember, everybody, until next time, gamble on.